Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, before we get started today, I just want to thank everyone that listens. We had 11 million downloads in 2021. I could not be more humbled or flattered by all of the support that each and every one of you shows day in and day out, week in and week out. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come along with us in 2022 where the stakes are even higher. I know that you will. I want to say thank you. And now on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Claire Atkin, co-founder of the Check My Ads Institute, a nonprofit independent watchdog that's reshaping the digital ad tech industry by cutting disinformation off from its lifeline, which is advertising and money. Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So today I want to talk about the work you're doing through Check My Ads, especially with regards to combating disinformation and get into the kind of targets that you're going after and how you're engaging them. But first, I want to hear a little bit more about your background. So let's get into it. Before you co-founded Check My Ads, you spent a fair amount of time in the marketing space. So can you tell us about what you did before Check My Ads, how you came to this spot and what energized you to get in on something that is so important, I think so little understood, but has a real impact? I was a marketer for years, mostly in tech. So for software as a service companies, like the kinds of tech companies that would help your fitness studio run booking campaigns. It was like basic stuff. I have a master's in geography, and in 2017, I went and studied international election observation at the Global Campus for Human Rights in Venice because I was just concerned with all the ways that my industry was working against the interests of democracy. So when I met Nandini, my business partner, it was 2019, and I had gone through like a serious concussion and had taken some time off work and was back to freelancing and was really concerned with the direction that things were going. And she and I decided to partner up and start this new thing because nobody else was doing it. So now, you know, fast forward to marketing. So you went to Venice and you studied foreign elections. I mean, that's not a bad spot. I mean, to do what you're doing takes more than just saying, okay, I, I used to run marketing campaigns. What you're doing now takes on some of the heaviest hitters in American politics. And as we've talked about previously on the show, what American politics has morphed into is that you no longer have to hold elective office to have power. And a lot of the folks that you're taking on, and we'll get to that in a minute, have a lot of power because they hold so much sway with their audiences and their advertisers, I guess. So what made you wake up one day and say, this is something that I'm going to do? I think it was the day that Nandini and I met in person. We had known each other on Twitter, but in person we met and we realized that this is a huge problem. I mean, she had defunded Breitbart with her work at Sleeping Giants. So she had taken 90% of Breitbart's ad revenue away in 2017. They were going to make $8 million in 2017. And she let advertisers know that they were there and they blocked them because they didn't want to be anywhere close to xenophobia, racism, and bigotry. 
And like years later, she and I just asked, why is this still happening? There seemed to be a proliferation of Breitbarts now. It's not just Breitbart, it's a whole slew of other disinformation outlets. And they're making a ton of money on advertising. Like, why is this not fixed? We know advertisers don't want to be funding hate speech and disinformation. We know advertisers don't want to be sponsoring real world violence. So why is it happening? So Sleeping Giants did similar work, right? Yeah, they did similar work. And then we realized that we needed to pull in advertisers a lot more and really help them to understand the problem and help them to fix their own campaigns. So we started Check My Ads originally as an agency. We did that for a year and we were having the same conversation over and over again. And what we realized is that this is not an advertiser problem. This is an ad exchange problem. It is the companies that are making the calls on behalf of the advertisers who we have to hold to account. So you are Canadian by birth, a proud Canadian. You live on the safe side of the American border at this point. And before you got involved with Check My Ads, aside from being an observer, did you have any interest or interaction with American politics? My father was American before he became Canadian. And in Canada, we are affected immensely by American politics. I don't know if you know this, but like we get trickle down culture two years after something happens that's big in America, we usually see the blowback. So we are experiencing the same disinformation crisis that you are. We are experiencing just as much violence and hate. And the racism in this country is just as serious as the racism in America. So we take this stuff very seriously. So we send you all of our worst disinformation and you send us your best, which become America's best comedians. So it's more than a fair trade in our direction. And for that, I am sorry. So let's talk about Check My Ads. So there's a radio host, say a Dan Bongino, right? And we'll talk more about him. He has millions of listeners and he wants to monetize that. So he's going to sell advertising against his show, but he's not going to reach out to Procter & Gamble or Geico directly his show is going to utilize one of these things that's called an ad exchange. And so does the ad exchange sit between the host and the advertiser? Is that how it works? That's right. So what he would do is he would go and take his website and apply to be on an ad exchange. And that's what he's done. So he's applied and he had about 12 ad exchanges at the start of the fall. And those are the ad exchanges that had looked at his website looked at his numbers, looked at his content and said, yeah, we'll take you in and we'll bring you to market. We'll connect you to advertiser dollars. And so these ad exchanges, and you mentioned there were 12 of them, I assume that's a pretty opaque business. I mean, before you and I spoke for the first time last week, I guess I understood it conceptually, but I didn't spend one minute thinking about it. So nobody really understands how these things work, right? No. And like even we who are paying so close attention to who is funding who, we think there was about 12. Like, it's quite possible there are some secret ones. And we know that he's been dropped by about six, but we don't know if that's fully true. We just are seeing it in the records behind the scenes on the ledgers. So let's say we're creating our fictitious ad exchange and we'll call it ad exchange one, something really creative, right? You're probably more creative than I am. And I'm looking at Bongino's numbers. They're good. And when I say they're good, I mean, he has a lot of them. I don't want to say that what he does is good because it's not. So then Ad Exchange One goes out to the market and says, look, I've got this show that can reach all these people in your demographic, in your target segments. Is that how it works? It's 
usually like a form that they fill out. The ad exchange will have a form and it'll be more automated. And then someone on the ad exchange side will evaluate. And yeah, they're looking at clicks. They're looking at click-through rates. They're looking at impression numbers. And they're looking at the content. And this is key. Advertisers do not want to be on hate speech. They do not want to be on disinformation. They don't want to be on anything that promotes drugs or terrorism. Like They don't want to be anywhere close to anything that could be antithetical to their brand values. So you mentioned Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble is a household name. They have household products. They don't want to be anywhere near all this toxic stuff. So the ad exchanges are also looking at the content to say, is this appropriate for our clients? So my question would be then, in your work so far with these exchanges, how many household names are ending up on these sorts of misinformation, disinformation, ugly content shows without their knowledge, do you think? Most of them. Most of them. Yeah. It's very hard to check your ads. It's very hard to control where they go. If you're not using like what's called an inclusion list, basically, if you don't have a list of websites where you definitely want your ads to go and like it's nowhere else that they are allowed to go, if you're not using an inclusion list, then your ads are going to go anywhere. And the ad exchanges are the ones that make the call. This industry is so big and so opaque. We're talking $400 billion per year are being ushered towards certain media and away from other media by this handful of obscure tech companies. And we aren't paying attention to that. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're in this problem. So you've got host on one side, exchange in the middle, company on the third side, right? So, you know, one, two, three. So now in the work that y'all do, are you working with these ad exchanges directly if you can find them? Are you going to advertisers and saying, hey, by the way, did you know that your ads are showing up here? So take us through the process because I have to assume that it's a little bit like detective work. You have to figure out where these people are. You have to figure out who they are. And then you actually have to go find them, talk to them. How does that all work for you guys? So the thing that we do the most is we publish stories on the relationship between the ad exchanges and disinformation and hate speech. And we do that publicly because we find that that is the thing that they respond to the most. They're not going to respond to financial penalties. They're not going to respond very well to government regulation necessarily, we think. There are rules and standards that the industry has set over time, and we point out publicly when they are not meeting those standards. And when we do, when we publish on our newsletter called Branded, we find that things change. These disinformation sites, they end up getting dropped. And we know that they do because they tell us that they have dropped them. And they often thank us for bringing it to their attention, which always feels strange. Well, I mean, look, corporate America, anyway, has a very thin skin for this stuff and a very high level of discomfort with anything, as you noted, is bad for their brand or might somehow cause even a small kerfuffle publicly, right? They don't want it. That's some of our bread and butter, right? Toyota, AT&T, like we do that on purpose because enough of us, at least at the Lincoln Project, have done public affairs work for so long. We know the glass jaw they have. I mean, I would hope that they're appreciative of y'all's efforts because if you start, you know, latching home brand X to Alex Jones, they don't want to be on the tinfoil hat crazy hour. Largely, the advertisers are very supportive of our work. The ad exchanges are not huge fans. We get a lot of pushback of like, oh, you know, it's just hard to make the call. Where do you draw the line? We don't want to be political. And our response to all of those things is 
we're talking about real world violence. We're not talking about politics here. We're talking about racism. We're talking about xenophobia. These are things that you have said yourself you will not send ads to. So why are they still there? And so I assume that the reason why any of these exchanges operate is because they're taking a cut off of one or both ends. So just to make it easy, if it's a $100 ad buy, do they take 10% off the top from the advertiser and 10 more percent before it gets to the host? That's a great question, Reed. Nobody knows. Only the ad exchange knows. And we've heard rumors. We get whistleblowers all the time. So sometimes it's like a 50-50 split. And sometimes it could be like a 10-90 split. And every publisher seems to have a unique contract and a unique revenue split with every ad exchange. And it's a very obtuse relationship. I mean, I've been in political campaigns for decades now. And, you know, when you even if you go through a media buyer in the old days, it was just broadcast television or radio, cable. Now with digital, like there's always a commission on that, right? That's how people get paid. But a 50-50 split is highway robbery. They have an immense level of control and power within this industry. But efficiency is just one tiny part of the conversation. The biggest problem to me is that my ad dollars as a marketer are funding things that make me, my family, my community, and my friends unsafe. Right. And when you're working on this stuff too, there's the ad exchanges no one's ever heard of, but then there's Google and there's Facebook. I mean, I don't know if they're also considered exchanges, but there's billions and billions of dollars of advertising that runs through their pipes maybe every day, let alone every year. So how do you take on somebody like that? Because we also know not only you know are they selling advertising, but we know at least in Facebook's case, their algorithms point people to this stuff. Facebook is outrageous in their complicity with this problem. And we are not talking about Facebook publicly as much as the ad exchanges because we find that our audience gets confused. So we're talking about what is colloquially known as the open web. That is all of the websites that you go to where you are given display advertising. And both Google and Facebook do send ads there. But that's like a different world from Facebook proper. So let's talk about websites in general and the relationship between those websites and Facebook. Facebook will amplify Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino has millions of followers on Facebook and he will send people to Bongino.com. And the more hate baity, the more likely people will click and leave Facebook and go to Bongino.com. And that is where it gets to be payday. That's where he makes money. He doesn't make money on Facebook. He makes money when people leave Facebook, go to his website, and then he gets a cash out. And for a guy like Bongino, and in full disclosure, I did work for Dan a million years ago when he was a moderate Republican running for the United States Senate in Maryland. By the way, he never paid me, which is ironic enough. But he has always had this sort of aggro, overdone alpha male persona, you know, the muscle shirts and everything else where he threatens people, you know, he threatens to ruin them on Twitter or whatever else. And so talk to me about how you guys choose the particular people like a Bongino that you're going to go after. And talk to me about how you see someone like him and of his ilk, the effect they have on the national discourse. There are six top people who we identified who are the people who are probably making the most money off of the big lie and off of the insurrection. 
And those people are Dan Bongino, Charlie Kirk, Tucker Carlson, Fox News, Glenn Beck and The Blaze, Steve Bannon and War Room, and Tim Poole, who was a YouTuber. And we identified them using research where we compare their content with how many ad exchanges they have and how prolific they are and how much money we think they're making. So we've identified what we're calling the J66, the January 6th insurrectionists. And right now our campaign is to defund them. But you asked a more specific question about Dan Bongino. Dan Bongino is brand unsafe because he spreads lies about COVID-19. He spreads lies about the election. He's racist. He's misogynistic. He's xenophobic. He publishes again and again narratives that scapegoat minorities, which is the most dangerous kind of disinformation there is. So already he's brand unsafe. But on top of that, he also, when he loses advertisers or ad exchanges, will bully them on his own show. So Zipcar left, Warby Parker left, and he goes on his show and he goes to all his listeners, send them a message. So Warby Parker's employees now are getting angry, harassing phone calls from Dan Bongino's listeners. I mean, if that's not the epitome of brand unsafe, I don't know what is. Well, and for Warby Parker, which glasses company, sunglasses company, mostly online, but they do have, you know, a few stores here and there, they want to sell to everybody and they want to be apolitical. And so it's sort of a double whammy for them because they don't want folks to know, oh, by the way, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we're ultimately supporting and they just want to be out of it altogether. But the exchange is sort of like, eh, there's enough eyeballs here, so to speak, that, you know, it's good for them. And that's the other part too. Like, do any of these people know their ROI? They put, you know, a hundred bucks into Dan Bongino. How many pairs of glasses do they sell? But you're right, which is utilizing that explicit menace to people who are otherwise just trying to do their jobs. So you've got the J66, which I like. You've cost them money. What has been, we'll pick on Bongino some more because he's certainly worth it. What has been his reaction to y'all? Dan Bongino's reaction to us has been to publish stories on Bongino.com and speak about us on his show. And he mostly focuses on my business partner, Nandini. And what he says is very misogynistic and racist. And he sicks his followers on us so that we get lots of harassment. The kinds of stories they've shared about us have been anti-Semitic, saying that we're a George Soros-backed organization. They also have claimed that we are anti-Semitic ourselves. They most recently called me a child predator for <laughs> tweeting my support for trans and gay teenagers. And it's been a few months of quite heavy harassment. You know, the thing these folks want most is they want to be able to say what they want to say, be as transgressive as they want to be, fire up their people, build these movements, all for the express purpose. Most of these guys are in it for the money. Bannon's a true Leninist and he's a different deal. And then, you know, the thing about the child predator stuff is if you read enough Tim Snyder or Ann Applebaum, you realize that the child predator stuff is straight out of the Eastern European Russian political playbook. If they want to delegitimize a political opponent, that's what they call them. That's the first thing in the playbook. Call them a pedophile. Call them a child predator. A lot of the QAnon insanity, right, is the idea that Joe Biden and the Democratic Party run some baby eating ring out of pizza parlors. Like when you say it out loud, Claire, it's insanity. 
But these folks say this stuff all day, every day. Yeah, it's wild. And like the people who listen to them who end up contacting us really believe it. And what they're doing is inciting violence. They are putting our lives in danger when they tell these stories, when they dupe their audience into thinking these conspiracy theories. It's putting us at risk of real physical harm. And we take that extremely seriously. We are in touch with law enforcement. We are in touch with lawyers. Like This is not a joke to us. They are making money off incredible violence at the hands of these ad exchanges. And these ad exchanges should be held to account. So that's what we do at Check My Ads. And so aside from the not surprising reaction you've gotten from a guy like Dan Bongino, because I do believe that a lot of these folks, again, because they're in it for the money, the only way to dent them is the bottom line because it's the only thing they care about. But maybe these folks have so crossed over the Rubicon that there's no crossing back, right? They'll just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Have you seen that anybody has changed their behavior? One, is that even the goal? Or is it to delegitimize their hate speech so that they're not getting a big nationally known brand, but they got to advertise with the MyPillow guy? Yes, we see that deplatforming works. They do change their behavior in that their audience leaves. We saw that with Molyneux. We've seen that with Milo. These men who end up losing their audience, they end up having to get a day job and they kind of just like wither away. That's perfect. We need that to happen. These people do not deserve audiences. They are mean and they are violent and they are making the world a more unsafe place. Your second question was about legitimacy. And we think that this is important when we're talking about Fox News in particular, because Fox News makes a lot of money off cable. Their ad revenue is not as big as their cable revenue. Now, if you were disturbed by the rhetoric coming out of Fox News, especially Tucker Carlson, especially anything to do with the big lie, the insurrection, you could call up your cable company and ask for a refund on that particular channel. You could. The other thing you can do is write a letter to the ad exchanges that are funding Fox News, especially foxnews.com, and you could say, how do you square this against your brand safety policies? Now, we have templates for those emails, and that's part of the campaign is that we give email templates to anyone who wants to support us, and they can email the ad exchanges who are on our list. But what that does is not just take away their financial revenue, it also delegitimizes them because there is a brand equity exchange whenever anyone is advertising anywhere. In the 90s, before we were all on the internet, we would pick up a magazine and we would look at it and we would be able to tell the weight of the authority the magazine had by the ads. Ads give credence to content. And without ads, Fox News would just be Newsmax. And the more violence that is incited by Fox News, the more brand unsafe it will become. We believe at Check My Ads that they have crossed that line with their incitement of the insurrection that has gone too far. Well, and you saw just last week, two of our favorite targets, Tucker Carlson and Ted Cruz. So Ted Cruz, speaking at the Capitol, I believe last Wednesday, says, you know, January 6th was a terrorist attack and goes on. I don't want to call it a rant, but, you know, an impassioned speech is immediately pilloried by the right wing of the Republican Party of the MAGA folks and of Fox News, realizes Cruz has a problem, goes on Tucker Carlson to try and do the mea culpa, and Carlson just loses it on them. Even for Carlson, he was exercised, you know, with all of the sort of spitting and shaking of the shaggy head and everything, because I think he understood, like, 
there was a cognitive dissonance to that, and that can't be allowed. It has to be that ugly, has to be that on brand, has to be that aggressive, transgressive all the time. And someone within the tent dared call it out, and that's not allowed. I mean, they've made violence a political tool, and I believe my industry is responsible for some of that, and I would like us to be held to account. And I would like the advertisers and the ad agencies to email their ad exchanges and say, this is too far. We see what you're doing, and we do not want to be here. We need accountability. Cut them off right now. All right. So, Claire, we got an audience that loves to do stuff. And in fact, the more that we give them to do, the more they tend to do. And when we don't ask them to actually take action, they get mad at us. So how can folks out there in radio land get involved with Check My Ads? How can they help? Where can they find the information they need to be a part of this? Okay, Check My Ads is a very small and mighty team, and we would like to grow. The two things you can do are go to checkmyads.org slash J6. That's checkmyads.org slash J6. And you can write emails in the updates tab. You can get the email templates and send those emails as much as you can to ad exchanges. Share the emails with your friends, ask them to send them. These ad exchanges are incredibly powerful and they don't want to hear from you. Please let them hear from you. And then we're accepting donations. We need people to write content. We need people to run campaigns. We've done an incredible job taking millions of dollars out of the disinformation economy to date. And we know that we can take many, many more out. We just need more capacity. And so how can folks get in touch if that's their area of expertise or they just even want to volunteer for your efforts? Checkmyads.org is the place to be. That's where you can contact us. It's where you can support. You can sign up as a checkmate. Those are monthly supporters. You can donate. And at checkmyads.org slash J6, that's where you can donate to just this campaign. But we are welcoming any and all people who believe that hate speech and disinformation should not be a business model. And folks, I think that what Claire and her team are working on is hugely important. It's the same reason why we at the Lincoln Project have the corporate accountability campaign, because so many of these folks, whether or not they're the hosts or the advertisers and what Claire's doing, it's all about the bottom line. For these politicians and these corporations that we want to you know, highlight, we want to pull their money out of the system too. It's really, Claire, in my mind, unfortunately, it's really the only thing people care about. We should just assume that they're not going to do the right thing, unfortunately. And so the only thing that will begin to affect their behavior, I'll say, is when they start to feel it in the bottom line, whether or not it's a radicalized host or if it's a candidate trying to raise money. All right. And before we let you go, where can we find you on social media? My Twitter handle is CatTheKin. And uh, my business partner is Nandoodles. She's the dramatic one. So if you're in it for the drama, follow her. And if you're in it for clear communication, I try to keep it top of the line over at my Twitter. And as always, everyone, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Remember that we've got a lot of work to do here in 2022. I want to thank Claire for joining me today. Wish she and her team the best of luck. And everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup. 
including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on the Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. And we'd love you to join us for our newest show, Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Friday at noon Eastern on our YouTube channel. For the Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode.